Laura Logan, who is, I think, a, in my mind, an icon uh, of, of reporting and what a news journalist should be. Uh, she was with 60 Minutes and uh, CBS for years and years. She's won all kinds of awards, including the Edward R. Murrow Award, uh, for her reporting and her journalistic integrity. Uh, you might also remember that she was in the crowd as Egypt uh, overthrew Mubarak, uh, and it um, it was brutal for her. I wanted to talk to her a little bit about how the media is handling all of this, uh, and her her thoughts right off the top of her head for about last night. Laura, welcome to the program. Hey, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me on, and um, thank you for your very, very kind uh, introduction. Uh, well, I, I, I mean every word of it, Laura. Um, can you tell me what your thoughts are on how this is played off uh, from the embassy riot, which was reminiscent of 1979 or probably closer to Benghazi, to uh, killing Qassam, to the response last night? Well, what's very interesting for me, you know, having spent many years on the ground um, in the Palestinian territories, in Israel, in Afghanistan, in Syria, in Jordan, five years living in um, in Iraq, you know, I've traveled all over Iraq. Um, I've been smuggled into, you know, uh, insurgent parts of Damascus and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's... What I am always struck by um, when I see uh, these events unfolding is how important the context is yeah. for the conversation. Because Persians, if you spend any time with Persians, what you learn a- about um, the Persians and Iran, you know, Iranians identify themselves as Persians mm-hmm. because it goes back to the, you know, the, per- the, the time of the Persians, right, sure, when the Persians sure. ruled. And they still see themselves through that prism. And what I always try to do is to look at the world through through their eyes. So, you know, for, same for the Iraqis, same for all the people in the region who are affected by this. And, um, and, and the conversation that's playing out in the U.S. seems very often feels like it's devoid of that kind of context, right? Because we, we tend to look at things only through the prism of now. Um, and I've been, um, I've been quite struck um, for a long time by the United States' lack of action towards Iran. You know, when you're on the, the Iraqi battlefield year after year after year and you see Iran's um, role on the battlefield escalating and the U.S. not doing anything over to counter it, where all the, all the U.S. efforts to, to counter Iran on the Iraqi battlefield were clandestine, right? They were more covert. Um, and so there's an inherent dishonesty in all of the reporting because we're still talking about the Iraq wars. If it was a war, you know, between the U.S. and Iraqi forces. But who in this conversation about Qasem Soleimani is asking why? Why were Iranian militias killing American soldiers mm-hmm. on the Iraqi battlefield? Mm-hmm. Why were they there? What was their purpose? What was their justification? What was their motivation? No one is asking that. No one's even questioning that. And no one is talking about the fact that the Iraqis were protesting. There were mass protests just a few weeks ago against the Iranians that were there. The Iraqi people do not want them not do not want them there. Um, All we hear about is how they don't want us there. But we are protecting a lot of the Iraqis as well. That's very true. And of course, you know, Iraq is a mix of Sunni and of Shia people, right? And the Shia, 
you know, like the Iranians are Shia right, right. across the border. So there's their loyalty um, and their faith, you know, in Shiite Islam. And then there's their national identity as Iraqis. And then, of course, there are also millions of Iraqis who are mixed Sunni and Shia, right? Mm-hmm. You might have a, you know, a one Sunni parent and one Shiite parent. And, and we act like all of these people are a monolithic entity that all agree right. with each other. Right. And what we leave out of this conversation are, for example, all the Iraqis who used to say to me, ah, this person is not Iraqi. And I used to say, well, what do you mean? They're not Iraqi. They're born in Iraq. They're Iraqi citizens. And they say, yes, but they have Iranian blood running in their veins, which was the Iraqi way of saying their real loyalty is, is to uh, Shiite Iran across the border. Mm. And it's, their real loyalty is not to us, it's, to, it's, it's not to Iraq. And that was very, very interesting for me because you look at someone like Qasem Soleimani, he was um, Iraqi. He was born in Iraq. Um, Mohandas, the Iraqi commander who died with him, he's another one that they said to me has Iranian blood in his veins. Um, you know, and um, Al-Amri, the head of the Badr Corps, who's now replaced um, Mohandas, um, who's now the most powerful Iranian ally in, on the, in Iraq. Um, he also, he fled Iraq decades ago, and he lived in Iran um, and really was trained by Iran. And when um, Saddam fell, the Iranians sent him back into Iraq, and he was tasked by Qasem Soleimani to hunt down every Iraqi pilot and significant um, you know, commander from the Iran-Iraq war and kill them. And I, in fact, I sat down in an interview with him a few years ago for 60 Minutes, and I read to him um, a, an American diplomatic cable that was signed off, authored and signed off on by the U.S. Embassy and by the U.S. Ambassador and sent to Washington. And, th- and you know, I've never forgotten what it said, um, which, um, which was this, you know, that, that, that um, the, the U.S. Embassy and the, um, and the military believe that um, uh, Amory was responsible for personally murdering two and a half thousand Iraqi Sunnis and that his preferred method of killing was to personally drill holes mm-hmm. in their heads while they were still alive. Okay, mm-hmm. this is the man. This is the man that, that was trained by Iran. That is one of their most important lieutenants and allies inside Iraq. Okay, these are the people that we're talking about. So what about all the funerals of all the people who died at the hands of Qasem Soleimani and his proxy forces and his commanders and under his orders and with the blessing and authority and funding and training, right? What about all those people? And uh, what about the Iraqis who are celebrating his death? What about Syrians who are celebrating, Yemenis who are celebrating? An Iraqi I spoke to in Baghdad you know, a couple of times over the last few days said to me that every Iraqi in San Diego who, uh, you know, is, is now able to vote in the U.S. is voting for Trump in the next election because they're so happy that he killed Qasem Soleimani. And it's, that's just a voice. It's one part of the story that you're not hearing um, a whole lot about. Well, you're, not at all. Flory, you're, you're also not hearing the voice of the Iranians, the millions that are risking their life yeah. to stand up, and the millions of people that are, ju- I think, in many ways, just like Americans. They're, they're, their inflation has gone through the roof, and they're looking at a billion dollars a month going to the Quds Force and the IRGC, and they're saying, I don't want any part of this anymore. I, I, this is just causing us more trouble, and they want out. They want relief from this, and no media source that I know of is covering that. 
That's well, I would I would agree with you on that, that no media source is covering that part of the story to those people are completely left out of this conversation. And um, and not only that, (laughs) but some of those people, their voices are left out because they're dead. Right. I mean, the green movement, who remembers the green movement, who there's been, you know, really two significant um, protest movements that have risen up in Iran to the level where um, they haven't been able to hide their existence. Right. Because we you know, I'm always very, very cautious about um, speaking about what, you know, Iranian people and what they want and how they feel and what the situation is, because we know so little. Right. It's very hard to function and operate um, in Iran. You do not get access to that country as a journalist or as an outsider unless the regime, you know, authorized specifically authorizes you to do so. And when they do that, they have a specific purpose. There's a reason they let you come in and they control what you see. They control who you speak to. They control what people say because people self-censor. They're so afraid they self-censor. So really accurate assessments over, you know, how how um, the majority of people feel. I can tell you what individuals feel because I can, you know, I can from time to time speak to individuals and in, in often in situations where I can at least have a high degree of confidence that I'm not being, you know, lied to, right? But um, but but what we're not hearing, what, but what the Iranians could not hide, they could not hide the Green Movement. They could not hide some of these mass protests. And uh, what we do know is that those protest movements were brutally, brutally suppressed. I mean, you know, hundreds of people were disappeared, tortured, imprisoned, murdered, right? And, um, and who was responsible for making that happen? I mean, the IRGC, the Quds Quds, Qasem Soleimani, these people, yes, he was loved by many people in Iran, but he was also feared and he was also hated. And those voices... Um, are, you know, they're, they're completely and utterly written out of the current narrative. Lara Logan, um, I'd like to continue with you. I'm going to take a quick one minute break and then I'd like to come back and talk a little bit about the media coverage here on on uh, on, on, on on how distorted it is. And, and MSNBC last night running the state television from Iran and then taking their word for how many Americans had been killed, which we now know is zero. Uh, and, and what the motivation is, what, are, how do, what does the average American take from this, uh, this media today back in just a second with Laura Logan, Laura Logan, uh, is, is with us. And, I, I I don't want to dwell on this at all, but I couldn't help but see the ABC reporter um, in the crowd in Iran, uh, you know, wearing her headscarf and everything else and thinking she's in real danger because uh, those crowds can change as you found in in Egypt. How much danger was she in yesterday and what kind of deal had to be made uh, for her to have that kind of coverage? And is it responsible? Um, well, you, you know, I think it's I think it's unfair to ask if it's responsible, just in the sense that, you know, our job as reporters is to try um, to tell, you know, every side of the story. And if I was still um, an evening news reporter, or, you know, CBS News, foreign news reporter, I would have been um, I would have loved to have been on the ground in Iran and be in Martha mm. Raddatz's shoes and, and be reporting from the ground. And 
And I do have enormous respect for Martha, and I know her personally, and, you know, I like her a lot. But having said that, I mean, um, I would say to you that you're right in any crowd, in any emotional situation like that, there's always a risk, right? No question about it. But let's not forget that Iran is not the average, uh, it's not the average country. It's not like the U.S. I mean, um, everything is, is very carefully stage managed. Now, you always have the risk that, you know, you could be caught up in a stampede, right? Things can uh, boil over like that. But, um, and there's always a risk that if they, that they allow you to be targeted. But things do not happen on the ground in countries like that. Um, most of the time without being orchestrated. Mm. So when the Iranian government says, okay, yes, you're approved and you can come in, you know, you've got a minder with you all the time. This person is monitoring every single thing you you say there. We call them minders, but let's be honest. They're a Mukhabarat intelligence agents, right? They're spies, and they're reporting on everything you say and everything you do. Well, I- and every person you speak to, every Iranian you interview, knows that that person is standing right there, Right. So those, those and, and, you know, sure, it was like that in Iraq under Saddam Hussein. I mean, it was like that in right. Syria under Assad. You know, I've done that many times, so I'm not criticizing Martha for that. What I would say is that there's, there's very little context. They're not giving any context in the reporting, and that's the problem that I have with this. I applaud her for being on the ground, and I applaud her for, for being there, and I would love to be in her shoes. But at the same time, where is the, you know, where is the, that little bit of distance? You know, what we have to do as reporters is we have to be right in that moment and be emotional and live it and bring it to life for the viewer, right, and bring you right there. But then we also have another job. Our other responsibility is to take a little step away from it and say, okay, what's the broader context? And I used to argue with U.S. soldiers all the time, right, because I, contrary to what people say, I didn't live with U.S. soldiers in Iraq. I lived with Iraqi people. And when I would go to the bases with them, you know, and, and they would say, well, you reporters never tell our story. You never do this. And you never do that. And you're so biased. And I would say, look, I mean, it's great that you've employed this, you know, 50 people and you've built this well and there's water in the village. But like, you know, uh, what has this done to move the needle for unemployment in the country as a whole? How many Iraqis today, how many more have access to clean drinking water didn't before? Oh, yes, they all they did before. In fact, you know, the infrastructure has been destroyed and now fewer people have it today. You know, I, I used to explain to them that there's a context in which you're operating. And I have du- dual responsibilities to you, to the Iraqis, to the taxpayers back home, to the government that sent you here. <laughs> to the military that's trying to manage these operations, all of these responsibilities compete, and they're all equal. And I have to be, you know, try to be fair to, um, you know, to everybody. So I don't just get to tell your story and not bother about the context. And that's what I feel is is happening in, in, in the, some of the reporting well, that I've seen from the ground there. It's all about one perspective, and there's no real distance to it. There's no, like, you know, nobody's putting it in context and saying, hey, wait a minute, you know? And, and, wait a minute! Like, but like, I, 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 they were chanting death to America before Qasem Soleimani was right. there. Right, and right? I understand. I, mean, I understand Martha not having to add context while she's on the ground. But when I say is was it responsible? Still, I mean, AB some of that in there. As much as she can get away with, yes. But mm-hmm. back home, ABC should be saying. Look, she's you know we we may you know we 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 are uh, we made a deal. She has minders. She has people with her. So she's bringing a certain context to the uh, you know to the picture here. But they're just using it as straight reporting. Same thing with NBC last night, running state television 
where they were reporting yeah, 30 soldiers. Stunning. Yeah, it's just stunning. It's, I mean, that to me is just like, well, how about this, Glenn? Okay, how about, how do you know that the pictures they put on state TV show what they say they show? Right. How do you know that? Like, you know, I was having conversations with uh, various people, a couple of intelligence people. They were looking and they were triangulating the trajectory of the, um, you know, of the missiles in the air with the moon and looking at where the moon was in the past, uh, you know, from Iran to Iraq, because, yes, there were missiles that hit that base. Right. But where were they fired from? Were they fired from Iran? Were they fired from, you know, an Iranian proxy inside Iraq? I mean, were they fired that night? Were those pictures of the missiles being fired? I mean, maybe those pictures were of something else. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of questions about that because Iranian um, the Iranian regime frequently puts out whatever it wants to. I mean, they're masters of propaganda. So, and what is very obvious here is, you know, when they put that out and they did that quickly and they had people cheering there, you know, at mm-hmm. the launch site, that was for the people, right? That was to satisfy. Mm-hmm. Because what has happened here? This is the part that, for me, the most significant thing that I think is missing here from the news coverage, where reporters have really failed in their duty, is that the strength of the reaction to Qasem Soleimani's death is absolute verification of the significance of the strike. Because they, you know, the media here seems to want us to have it both ways, where they want to say, this achieved nothing. This will not impact Iran's capabilities in any way. Um, you know, it's not significant at all. And then on the other hand, they want to say, this is so significant that you have, you've now put us into World You're War III. Thank you, Laura Logan. Back in just a minute with more. A man who I wouldn't uh, be surprised if he wasn't in a uh, council last night trying to figure out what was going on and uh, what the response should be. Uh, Congressman Chris Stewart, a member of the Intelligence uh, Committee in Congress. Welcome, uh, Chris. How are you? I'm good, Glenn. Boy, our year started out with a bang, didn't it? No pun intended. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. And I think that this is, if it continues to play out this way, and there's a caveat on this or two, but... This was last night the best case scenario for a response from Iran, was it not? Yeah, it it really was. And when you look at uh, some of the statements from their leadership saying they thought it was proportional, they don't want to 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 accelerate nor to you know make things worse. It's pretty clear the leadership is signaling that they themselves are not going to do anything further, although I think their proxies will. We've, they've been doing that for yes. 40 years. But yes. it really was kind of the best case uh, that we could have hoped for at this point. So we had people on television last night that I thought were crazy saying that we should go after and bomb their oil fields. And I thought, geez, who is advising the president? Um, His doctrine seems to be his red line, American lives. And if no American lives were lost, then we're fine. Uh, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Glenn, that's exactly right. And you've hit upon the key on that. And it really has been the president's red line. And he's been very clear all through the summer when they were tanking our tankers, when they're shooting down our drones in international airspace that are operating lawfully, when he's attacking the Saudi oil fields, he always said, and by the way, I know they've been signaling very, very clearly to the Iranian leadership, if you kill Americans, everything is different. 
And, and through the late fall, we began to see them take actions that would kill Americans as they consistently bombed facilities where about half the people there were Americans. And the president signaled again to them, you're going to kill some Americans if you continue doing this. And if you do, everything is different. And they did kill some American, an American citizen, and things did change. Uh, but hopefully, and I'm actually quite optimistic, that, that, that this will now settle down and, and reframe their thinking. And maybe we can even get something positive coming from this. How do you mean? What do you think we could possibly get? Well, you know, our grand strategy is not just to continue with a 40-year low-grade war with Iran. Going back to the embassy in 79 and every incident and dozens of them and the hundreds of Americans who've been killed in the intervening time. I mean, we can say, well, that's just the way it is and we'll just accept it. Or we could encourage it like Barack Obama did and said, here's a boatload of money and here's uh, prestige and credibility on the international stage. And we now think that you're just another nation on, on par morally and the way you treat people like us. Or we could say, look, you've got to change your behavior. But if you do, we will welcome you back into the international community. We'll, we'll relieve some of the sanctions. We'll try to help the Iranian people. But you can't keep doing what you've been doing for 40 years. And maybe, I know it sounds crazy, but just maybe this is an opportunity for Iranian leadership to say, you know, this is enough. We really could modify some of the things we've been doing. Doubt they're going to do that. Um, yeah, uh, probably, probably not. But, um, you know, hopefully. If they would have a proxy, so they have one, you know, one degree of separation or more, um, and they had a proxy go after an embassy or go after a CIA station chief, as they've done before, uh, or uh, or kidnap an official someplace in the in the world. Uh, How do we respond to that? Does that take us right back to where we were? Yeah, you know, I hate to say it depends, but it really does depend. And it depends on just an incredible number of variables. Obviously, uh, this I can say with some certainty, their proxies are not a mystery to us. Uh, When they operate through their proxies, we don't go, boy, I wonder who did that or on what authority that took place. We can draw these, connect these dots, and it's not a a whole lot of dots you have to connect. So they can operate through proxies, but they can't do it with impunity and they can't do it with anonymity. We know that it's them, and they know that we know it's them. Uh, And I guess, Glenn, coming back to my point about it does depend – I mean, it, there are so many gray areas in that of who did they capture, who did they kill, under what circumstances and where. And I think the best response is to just say it would be proportional and it would be uh, our response would be proportional. And it would be uh, to you know reinvigorate this idea that we that there's a, a defense against this. So we're mm-hmm. going to not incentivize them for this behavior. So I think the president has. Uh a few groups of people, five groups of people that he's, he just can't listen to. Uh, and the, the, uh, the Ayatollah uh, would be well advised not to listen to them as well. Hezbollah and the hardliners. This is not going to satisfy the hardliners. It's not going to satisfy Hezbollah because those are the diehards that want death to America, truly want death to America. Um, in the United States, I, I would have to put our GOP hardliners that a lot of them were on TV last night saying we should bomb the oil fields and everything else. And I was thinking, that's crazy. That's just crazy. Yeah. Um, so don't listen to those hardliners. But also uh, the Democratic politicians who are so eager for failure here. It is insane. Uh, they were yeah. immediately saying that this is the death spiral. This is going to be World War Three. Uh, the the press was was 
was literally MSNBC literally taking Iranian state television and running it on the air and and letting it go unchecked. Yeah. I, I I don't know whose hardliners and whose freaks are worse. Those in in yeah. Iran or those here. Yeah, you said much, and if I could respond to just a couple things on that. Number one is that uh, I'm uh, once again, and this is not going to shock anyone, but I'm just so disappointed with Nancy Pelosi, and this is why. And this is this is meaningful. This isn't just politics as normal. Nancy Pelosi had the opportunity to last last night to come and see the intelligence, which is irrefutable. And yet she still went out and made this highly partisan statement about, well, this is uh, implying that this is American aggression. After seeing this intelligence, there's no way anyone in the world could honestly come out and say this is anything than what it was. And that was the president protecting American lives. That is very clear. And the second thing I would respond to, Glenn, is agreeing with you in the fact of the hardliners. The good news is, is, you know, who agrees with you is President Trump. Right. The last thing in the world he wants is to get into any meaningful war or engagement in the Middle East again. For heaven's sakes, that's what he's campaigned on, and that's what he's done since. And he knows that. And the second person, or, or even more than him, actually, who wants, doesn't want a war in, uh, with Iran is the Iranian leadership. They know it would be suicide. Yeah. And I, I can't tell you how many people have asked me over the last three or four days. I mean, really worried. Hey, do I need to go get my kids from college? You know, are we going to war? Or is this? And it's like, no, no, no. We are not going to be in a major international conflict with Iran. We don't want it, and they don't want it. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can respond appropriately when they kill American citizens as we have to. But that doesn't mean, and, it, and I'm confident, that we won't be in a large-scale war with them. I just don't believe that's, that's in the cards at all. Chris, have you ever seen... I mean, I, I just feel as though between the media and, quite honestly, the Democrats, I understand the Republican hardliners that just, you know, they just want to regime change and everything else. we got to stop doing all of that stuff. Uh, and I understand who Iran is, but this is not the way to go. Um, I understand that, but I honestly do not understand. I am very concerned that the Democrats... Uh, and the um, and the the media are almost cheering for Iran uh, over yeah. us, which is it's it's suicide. Is the divide really that stark now that even in times when American lives are at stake, they'll just con- they just hate Donald Trump so much they'll do whatever it takes. Well, I mean, the early indications are that's exactly the case. And I'll go back to my example, Ms. Pelosi. The responsible thing for her to do after seeing the intelligence and having her questions answered would have come out and say the president did the appropriate thing. He had no choice. She could not bring herself to do that. And if she couldn't do it, which stunningly, we consider her one of the more responsible members of the Democratic Party now, which is unbelievable to me, but compared to many of the others, she actually is. If she can't do that, then many of the others will not either. And the media will not as well. And I think it comes back to what you said, Glenn. They're just so viscerally opposed to this president. And, and anyone who supports him, his voters, anyone who, who has a kind word towards him is just their mortal enemy. It's as if they feel uh, that they that they would actually uh, have sympathetic feelings towards 
uh, General Soleimani, who's responsible for, you know, the deaths of hundreds of Americans and hundreds of thousands of lives from Syria to, through the Shia Crescent. And, you know, I, I hope this will pass. I hope that they will, you know, that they'll come to their senses a little bit on this. But uh, but the early indications are is that, as you said, they just oppose and hate this president so badly, they just can't think clearly through these things. One last question. As a guy who's on the Intelligence um, Committee, a guy who's been in the uh, Air Force and, um, you know, high-ranking officer, um, this letter that was leaked uh, that said we were pulling out, that was unsigned, that is the one of the most damaging things to our policies that could have ever happened. I mean, it, it, it you, you couldn't be, you couldn't be uh, working for the other side and have a better thing happen than at that point say, oh, we're going to pull out, which forces the president to say, no, we're not, which, which enables Iran to say, look, we're winning, uh, forces us to stay. Is there going to be any consequence for this person? Do you believe that that was just released accidentally? Uh, I'm going to answer that as honestly as I can, and that's just say, Glenn, I don't know, but, it, but we have to find out. I mean, it was in, in a, uh, a very troubling communication in, in the midst of, uh, of a time when the communication should have been very concise and very, very clear. And it clearly wasn't the president's policy. It clearly wasn't the administration's view that, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to cut tail and run. And by the way, that's exactly what, what the Iranian regime wants us to do so that they can rain right. blood and horror through that area. Uh, but we, we, need to, we need to, as I've, as I've said for several years now, I, I think we re- need to relook every place we have American soldiers over there and ask the question, is it essential? Is it a necessary? What are we getting for this? Uh, but you can't do it in the, at, at this moment, and you can't give it to the Shia militia and to the Iranian regime at this time. So, yeah, but at some point we should look at that. What are the purpose of the U.S. troops in Iraq, and how long should they be there? But for that communication to have been leaked deceptively like it was and to send that kind of message, man, we'd love to find out who did that and, and what Well, wouldn't that be pretty easy to find out? I mean, who wrote that? Was that a low-level private who just didn't know what they were doing? Or, I mean— that had to have some weight behind it. Somebody who wrote that, we should be able to find, and they should be fired at best. Or, I mean, sorry, at least. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm going to withhold judgment on this until I know more, because I don't want to say something without the okay. facts. But we need to find out, and that's, and, and, and that's just the bottom line. We need to find out who did it, under what circumstances, what they were thinking. It just wasn't what the president's policy it did not reflect our policy. Well, and it could be, Glenn, that it was just misconstrued in the sense that they were going to reposition troops, and it might have been poorly stated. But if they're saying we're going to reposition troops to better defend ourselves, that's very different than we're going to reposition troops to prepare for a withdrawal. Well, let me know if you pursue it, because I'd like to know the answer to that, because I think this was this 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 was really disturbing. I've not seen that happen before. Chris Stewart, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Congressman Chris Stewart from uh, the great state of Utah. I mean, what was that? I, I don't want to say anything without the facts. What year do you think this is?